Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to have you with us today. My name is Tim, and uh, it's great to be together. This is Thanksgiving week. Uh, many of us here will be going somewhere to have some, some food, I'm sure, with family and friends. And so, hope that um, you have a great Thanksgiving. We're in a four-part series called The Message in the Meal. And, uh, you know, it's this week, uh, this month, you know, we've been thinking about Thanksgiving Thinking about meals in general, this Thursday is Thanksgiving. One of my best memories as a child growing up on the farm, whether it was in Golden Gate or Browns, Illinois, was waking up to the aroma of turkey in the oven. You know, it was so cool. We'd, of course, we didn't go to school, and it was, that was great. But to wake up and, and my, you know, my grandmother would, would come, and, and she would come in early and, and help my mom, and they would have turkey and dressing and with oysters in it. Uh, we had um, uh, cranberry sauce, and my gra- my grandmother, my mother made cranberry sauce just like my grandmother, and then my wife made cranberry sauce just like my mother. I go, honey, this is awesome. You got my mom's recipe. No, I just read like your mother on the back of the bag how to make it. You could make it if you want to. I could. So cram- there'll be lots of cranberries and mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, pecan pie, pumpkin pie. This Thursday, America will consume 46 million turkeys. That's a lot of bird, folks, okay? 40 million green bean casseroles will be prepared for Thanksgiving. Uh, 50 million pumpkin pies will meet their demise on uh, Thanksgiving. And 80 million pounds of cranberries, 20% of the national production will be consumed. 20% of it will be consumed um, this Thursday. And you know, you think about it, we've been talking about this idea of gathering around amongst a, a table full of food, but there's something else that, that's going on. The room will be full of noise. Lots of noise. Yeah, banging and clanging. But you'll hear things like, you'll pass the taters or get something somebody's drinking. But there'll be conversation as well. People will be talking to one another and laughter. There'll be Moments where people will share something maybe they're grateful for. We'll count our blessings this Thursday. I don't know if you have this tradition, but some people sit around the table and they'll say, what are you thankful for? And they'll go around the table. And so so the Lord, in a way, will be there. It's one of the few holidays where gratitude to God is a focus. It's It's unlike Christmas in some ways and unlike Halloween for sure. It's that holiday in the middle that reminds us of all the blessings. No matter what kind of year you've had, we'll think of people who are not at the table because they're no longer with us. And we'll, and we'll shed maybe a tear or two. We'll think of people that have showed up. Maybe new people. Children. Grandchildren will be at the table. And we'll sit back and go, Lord, with its ups and downs this past year, we will find some blessings to count. Am I right? Sure, because it's Thanksgiving. A fellow by the name of Tim Chester wrote a book called A Meal with the Master. And he said this, he said that three times the New Testament finishes this sentence, the Son of Man came to. And look, I'm going to give you all three here. Here's one right here, look at this one. The Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. Luke would say this, here's what Luke says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then the passage we looked at last week, and it's really the text we have. And go ahead, put it up there. 
The next one, there we go. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, look at him. He eats too much. He drinks too much wine. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus puts this in here. But wisdom is proved to be right by what it does. He goes, you'll see what I'm really up to. You know, the first two verses are about why Jesus came. To serve, to die, to save. But this verse is how He came. He was known as somebody who liked to eat. He liked to eat around the table. Some of His best lessons were around a table with friends or around a meal with His disciples. Next week, next Sunday, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper that Jesus had with His disciples and hopefully get some really good stuff out of that um, next week. But I want you, I guess, to see here is is that uh, you know how often Jesus also had meals with people. The Gospel of Luke records nine different meals Jesus had with people. I didn't know this. In fact, one particular fellow said it this way, you either find Jesus going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal most of the time in the Gospels. He liked food. He liked to eat. And today I want to talk about a meal, really a breakfast, a meal at the beginning of the day that Jesus had with a follower who was familiar with failure. This guy was constantly failing. He, of all the disciples, Peter was familiar with failure the most. You say, really? I go, yeah. Just go through your concordance sometime and, and just type in Peter at Bible Gateway and you're going to see all these moments for example, Lord, if it's you, let me come out and walk on the water with you. Come on, kerplunk. He sinks. You know, why don't you guys, have you caught anything? No. Well, put your nets out on the other side. We've, we've tried fishing all day and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I guess, and the net's full, and what's Peter do? I'm not worthy. worthy. He's like, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. What was I thinking? Fail. Failure. Jesus says, uh, um, hey, um, guys, I'm going to die on the cross. I've come here to die and for all of mankind. That's going to happen. And what's Peter say? Never! That's never going to happen. I won't allow it. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. He goes, no, you mean, I'm Peter. No, you're Satan. In front of all the other fellas. Can you imagine that? Egg on the face. That would, that's why I'd nickname him. Egg on the face. Because he's always stepping in it. Because you don't have, you have in your heart the things of men and not the things of God, Peter. Hey, let's build three shelters. One for you and Moses and Elijah. How about that? No, we're not doing that. Jesus takes a basin of water. And he walks around, starts washing feet. He gets to Peter. And Peter, what's Peter do? You're not washing my feet. And what's Jesus say? If I don't wash your feet, you can't be part of me. I know how to avoid this embarrassment. Then wash all of me. And you can just see him looking around. Wash all of me, Lord. I'm not here to give you a sponge bath, Peter. I just want to wash your feet. There's a point I'm trying to make here. And it's not that you need a bath. I'm a servant. I could just see the disciples going, hey, Peter really screws up a lot. Yeah, I wish he just need to play it safe. Let somebody else mess up for a change. You know? Jesus is at, in, a, in an olive grove 
and they're praying. Uh, he, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. His fellows come with me. Where are we going? Well, come here. They go to this little olive grove. And he goes, would you guys stay right here and pray for me? And I'm going to go over here and pray by myself. And so Jesus, you know, we know the story, right? He's there at Gethsemane. He said, Lord, God, Father, is there any way to... There's any way to take this... Wake up. What are you guys doing? Uh, uh, what? Huh? You guys can't sleep. What are you doing sleeping on the job? Wake up. Pray that I won't fall into temptation. This is a pivotal moment. People are going to read about this in the Bible. You don't want to blow this. He goes back and he prays. I don't mean to make light of it. He does. He prays his heart out. Blood coming from... He's so worked up. Sweats of blood. Comes back and they're sleeping the second time and a third time. And you know who he wakes up and talks to? Peter. Peter, what, what, what? Can't you guys stay awake? And it says they're, they, don't, they look at each other and they're speechless. He jumps Peter about it. I don't know how quick it is, but shortly after that, here comes Judas with his entourage of people. And they're there to arrest Jesus. Jesus is looking at him. What are you here for, Judas? And Judas kisses him. So everybody knows it's the Lord. That's so these other people know. Kisses him. They go after him. What's Peter do? Here's a fisherman. You know, some people do not need to be conceal and carry people. I'm serious. He's open carry. He pulls out the sword, fisherman. And he misses. I don't think he was going after an ear, folks, but he takes Malchus's ear. It plops on the ground, you know. You hear that plop sound. And Jesus picks it up. Put your sword away, Peter. He's thinking, huh. Puts the ear back on. What's Peter remember? Wow, that ear went right back on. No, he remembers Jesus jumping him. Because he made another big, goofy mistake. Peter's just famous for that. Jesus one time is saying, um, guys, one day the shepherd's going to be struck and the sheep are going to scatter. And he's talking about his own death there. And what's Peter say? Never, though these guys might forsake you, not me. I'll die for you. And what's Jesus say to him? Within hours, you're going to forsake me. Huh? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And what happens? It happens just like Jesus said. He's around a fire. Little girl, aren't you one of the followers? I think you. I think it. You aren't you one of them? I don't know what you're talking about. Another little girl walks up. Hey, hey! I think you're. I, your accent, you sound like one of those guys that follows Jesus. Are you from Galilee? I don't know what you're talking about. Then a fella that happens to be a family member, a relative of Malchus. I saw you at the Olive Grove. And the Bible says Peter started cussing. I don't know, does cussing make your point true? You know, I remember my dad, he cussed like a sailor. 
Give me that ranch. And I said, Dad, it's really made by Crescent. I don't remember what happened after that. He's calling curses on himself, is what some people are saying. Maybe using profanity, whatever, to make it clear he doesn't follow Jesus. And then he hears the rooster. And the Bible says that he sees Jesus, he hears the rooster, and he, oh no, and he looks at Jesus, and Jesus has already turned around and looking at him. As if to put everything on hold for a minute and saying, See, I told you. And the Bible says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. It was a hard cry. A hard, deep cry. Anybody here identify with Peter? Are you like, is, you ever notice this when you're watching sports and someone says, he hasn't thrown an interception all year and then the interception happened? Peter's kind of like that. I'm going to, uh-oh. We're going to, whoops. I think, oh, on the heels, sometimes on the heels of what he said. I don't know where you're making your mistakes. I, I can tell you where I'm making mine. Lots of them. Blown it several times. Disappointed people lots of times. Disappointed God many times. Let people intimidate me. Let people push me. Worry about what you think, so I better say the right thing or do something else. Not, do, not say the right thing. Say that what you want. Marriage, friendships, workplace, small groups. It's everywhere. Can you identify Peter? It's been about a month since Peter denied Christ. And if you've got a Bible and you'd like to turn to John 21, I guess we've got it up here on the screen in bits and pieces here. I'd like to read what we're going to look at today. It's been about a month since he denied Jesus. Jesus has already died on the cross, resurrected. And look at the Bible says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to His disciples. Praise God, that's in the Bible. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples. They all ran out on Him. And Jesus still appears to them. Still wants to be with them. Amen? Isn't that cool? It says, by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Here's how John says it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So there's seven of the eleven. No, Judas is dead. There's only eleven guys left. And seven of the eleven are together. Look what, look what uh, Peter says. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Again, failure. Nothing. Early in the morning. I wonder sometimes about the same time frame when, G when Peter was denying Jesus, that early in the morning. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it, that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they replied, they answered. He said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him where he had taken it off and jumped into the water 
The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with a fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you've caught. You just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love Me more than these? Yes, Lord, He said. You know I love You. Feed My lambs. Again, He said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love Me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love You. Take care of My sheep. The third time He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love Me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And of course, the Bible goes on to say, then a rumor spread that he was going to live forever, this guy. And John says, he's talking about me. And it is interesting that John is the last disciple, last apostle to die uh, of natural causes. What does Peter and the other people, these other guys here at this breakfast, what's the message in this meal for you and I? That's what I got to thinking as I looked at this one. So many meals to choose from, but I needed to hear this. I hope you, you can too. You need to hear it too this morning. What are they? Well, number one, God will give me another chance. When I blow it, God will give me another chance. Praise God. This is what David said. God, You pulled me out of the grave, gave me another chance at life when I was down and out. He said, Lord, when I thought it was all over, You came along and got me out of there. And you gave me another chance at it. See, one of the first things I want to do, maybe you do too, is the first things that you and I are tempted to do when we blow it is to give up, is to get out. We have one of those southwest moments. Want to get away? Right? Yeah, like, man, I just want to get out of this situation. I don't, I don't want to grow from it. I don't want to know anymore. I just want to get out of it. Many times that's what we're tempted to do. And we're tempted to maybe go back to our old habits. Peter goes back to fishing. He doesn't seem to be a very good fisherman. Have you noticed that? <laughs> he does a lot of fishing. A lot of, not very much catching. But we may want to go, we, we tempted to go back to the way it was. Our old habits, our old life. And we may say to ourselves, well I guess it's over. I, you know, I've done my thing. 
stick a fork in me, I'm done. My question to you this morning is this. Who is saying that? It's not Jesus. It's not the Lord. The Lord doesn't say it's over. He keeps appearing again and again and again to His disciples. Why? Because it ain't over. And I want you to know this morning, you may think it's over. If you listen close to that voice, it's probably your own voice. It's not the Lord's. Because He doesn't believe it's over. Look what it says. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples. He appeared again. Here in verses 12-14, through 14, He said to them, Come have breakfast. None of His disciples asked Him, Who is it? They knew it was the Lord. He gives them bread. He gives them fish. And it says, This is now the third time He appeared to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. Can I tell you, it was not only after He was raised from the dead, but it was after Peter blew it. After he denied the Lord. After the other disciples cut and run. He appears to him a third time. Why does he keep, Jesus, why do you keep appearing before Peter? I mean, he's done, right? No, he's not done. And what are you doing being kind to him? Let's have some breakfast. You're baking bread and cooking fish here and handing it to him? Is that what you do to people who throw you under the bus? That's what I do. What do you do? That's different. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. Why do you keep appearing Jesus to Peter? Why are you so kind to Him? He's saying to Peter and to those other six fellows, and He's saying to you this morning, your failure is not final. I am not done with you. Look at the Bible says here in Mark 16. An angel appears at the resurrection and appears to these three women and says to, says to these women these words, Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Jesus wanted to make sure Peter knew something. He wanted, especially Peter. I want him to know something. That my love doesn't change because you blow it. My love doesn't change for you because you have an epic fail. No, I want you to know something, Peter. When you fail, you fail in my favor. Folks, when you and I fail, we fail in the middle of God's favor. You're a follower and a disciple. You are failing in the middle of His love. Praise God. Look what the Bible says here. This is, I think, Psalms. It says, God is sheer mercy and grace, not easily angered. He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold, nor hold grudges forever. you believe this? I have, I have difficulty believing this. I'm going to be honest. Nor hold grudges forever. Really? He doesn't treat... Us as our sins deserve or pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as the heaven is over the earth, so strong is His love to those who fear Him. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear Him. He knows us inside and out. He keeps in mind that we're made of mud. What's He saying? You're mud. 
His name is Mud. That used to be an insult, you know. Dr. Mud took care of John Wilkes Booth. And if you want to insult somebody, you say, your name is Mud. Is that what he's saying there? Is he insulting me here? No. Is he insulting you here? No. He's saying you're a human being. You're mortal. You're going to live. You're going to die. You're going to make mistakes. And then he reminds us in verse 17 in the message here, God's love, though, is ever and always. In other words, our body may come and go, but God's love, though, is ever and always eternally present to all who fear Him. You follow the Lord? When you blow it, you're blowing it right in the middle of His love. I was looking at... um, You know, you you read a lot of what people say about stuff like this. And um, here's a quote from Timothy Keller. He's a Christian writer. And just, uh, I hope I can read it well enough you can get what he's talking about here. Because I know people who have said, I would follow Christ, but I do not think I can keep it up. I do not trust myself. I think you get tired of my failures. Please look at him in the garden. Look what His love for you has already enabled Him to endure for you. If He had turned away from suffering and the cross, we would have been lost. But He didn't do that. Hell came down on Him. and He wouldn't let go of us. His love for us has already taken everything that the universe could throw at it. And it held on. It held fast. And you think that you are going to somehow upset Him? <laughs> Is Jesus going to look at you and say, well, that does it. Coming down from heaven, coming to the earth, suffering torment is one thing, but I can only take so much. If this suffering did not make Him give up on us, nothing will. That's why Paul says things like, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's why the Hebrew writer can say things like, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. See, this is the love you've been looking for all your life. This is the only love that can't let you down. It's not friend love or personal acclaim or married love or even romantic love. This is bomb-proof love. Praise God. And I want you to know this morning, I don't know what you, I don't know what mistakes you're making and what your failures are, but I'll tell you what it's met by. It may be met by a married love and your spouse, you know, has had it, or met by friend love and your friends can only take it so far. But when you come to God with your failures, you are met with bomb-proof love. He's not going to stop loving you because you blow it. That's why He's the God that can give you another chance. In fact, when you and I are able to give other people another chance, that's why we're a lot like God. And it's hard to do, isn't it? That's the first thing I notice here. Is it... We have a God that is the God of a second chance. He gives me another chance. Number two, failure reveals my love for God or my love for God must grow. Failure reveals that my love for God has got to grow. Sometimes there are some awkward moments at the table. Am I right? You ever been? Everything's going well. Sometimes the awkward moment is one of the kids spills something. And, uh, they all back off. It's awkward. It's a mess. And we have to clean it all up. In my family, somebody can say something stupid. Probably just a guilt thing. But somebody in my family will say something stupid and everybody else will go, or somebody will bolt and go, and they walk out. 
drama. Gets a little awkward at the table sometimes. What do they talk about? We were talking about politics. We were talking about finances. We were talking about child rearing. We were talking about touchy topics. Gossip. You name it. Something. In my, as growing up, there was always somebody that would get up mad and leave the table. Every Thanksgiving. I just, we used to take side bets. Who's it going to be this year? As kids, we just go, who's it going to be? Because there's going to be some awkward moments. There's an awkward moment at this meal. Because after they get done eating, Jesus, the Bible says, turns to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's he talking about these? What do you mean more than these? Is this like the price is right and he's walking over to the boat and the nets are going, these? Is that what he's doing? He's not talking about that net and boat. I'm not convinced. Well, what's he talking about? He's saying, do you love me more than these other fellows that ran out on me? Because you said one time, if everybody falls away, I won't. I love you, Lord. Yeah, you're just like everybody else, Peter. Sometimes we need to remember that as Christians, don't we? I know I need to remember that. I'm just like everybody else. Got my mess, got my stuff. And you're getting awful quiet in here, folks. Listen, Jesus confronts the elephant in the room. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. And feed my lambs. Hey, Simon, now he just says, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Third time he says, do you love me? And it says third time Peter was hurt because he asked him for a third time. Oh, I see what you're doing. You're rubbing it in. I don't think Jesus is trying to rub it in. I think He's trying to do something else here. You see, you and I are going to fail. We're human beings. Nobody bats a thousand. I don't even know anybody can bat 500 very much. There's not very many of those people around. You know, we, we, we make mistakes. We say that's the dumbest things. Do the dumbest things and and we just were embarrassed by our, our choices. I've made several, and I can tell you, it, it's never pleasant. But Jesus isn't addressing human, the humanness, the human nature in us, or the, 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 where we fall short. Everybody sins and falls short. So he's not saying, Peter, you need to be superhuman. He's not saying that. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're, you, no excuses. You, you've got to, you've got to be super. No, he's, he's not addressing human, the human part of it. But he is addressing something that has something to do with Peter's denial. I don't think he's even addressing his denial. I think he's addressing, directly, he's addressing his devotion. Do you love me? He doesn't say, why did you deny me? Why did you deny me? Why did you deny me? That'd be nagging, see. Says, do you love me? Are you sure you love me? Do you really love me? Why is that so important? Because failure can reveal that my faith needs to grow. But I've learned that failure also reveals that my love needs to grow. Boy, it's tough, tough to think about like that, huh? See, it's not the mistakes and the failures sometimes that keep me from being like Jesus. It's the pride. The self-righteousness. That's what Peter's got here. And see, love is not proud. 
And so he's going after the source of his denial. You see, Peter loved himself more than the Lord. That's why he's denying Christ. Does that make any sense? I struggled over this. Why are you talking to him about this? You should have talked to him privately. Well, he wants every disciple to know this. They have a love issue. And the issue, what's before him is a challenge. I've got to grow my love. That's what my failure sometimes will do. It will reveal that i got to love. And I'm going to say to you this morning, when you fail, when I fail, listen guys, when we fail, as hard as it is, Jesus wants us to look at that. He wants us to, to, to address it. I've got to look at it. Now the good news is, Jesus is there to help. I heard a fellow say it this way, you have who you are and who you're going to become, who, you, who God wants you to be, and there's this gap that failure reminds you that exists between who you are and what you should be. And Jesus steps right in that gap and says, let me help you with this. Let me help you with this. And as hard sometimes as it is, I get that queasy feeling. i got it right now going, man, you're talking about, you don't think I love the Lord, Tim? I don't know. Jesus is asking you, do you love me more? Do you love me more? Do you love me more than everybody else in this room? Peter's saying, yeah, you're like everybody else in this room. And they ran cut and run because they had an immature love and you denied me, Peter, for the same reason. You know, I want you to see, Jesus is not trying to rub this in and try to get some regret out of Peter. You see, regret does not help me follow Christ. What does it say? What is it? Somewhere, 2 Corinthians 7, something about godly sorrow leaves no regret. God doesn't want... Regret it might, might be a great place to start and say, okay, it'll start me like a like a motorcycle, like a kickstart, but it can't keep me running. It can't keep me following Christ. That regret doesn't motivate me to follow Jesus. How in the world am I going to follow Jesus when I feel like I'm always messing up? That didn't, that's not a motivator. But to love me in my mess, that He loves me in my mess, now that motivates me to follow. Nobody loves me like that. Not even those that love me the most don't come close to that. No, what makes me a better follower is understanding the love of God. What will make me and you a better follower and Peter a better follower is if he'll, he'll work on things to get his love to grow. That he'll focus on getting his love to grow deeper. You know, Jesus in love is saying, listen to yourself. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. I don't hear you saying... You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. By just reaffirming and by coming back to that, you love me, it's slowly wiping out, rubbing out the past. So Peter does, does Peter carry this regret all of his life? I don't believe he carried it after this meal. I think he left it right there with the fish bone and the crust. Look what he says here, 1 Peter 2. Once you were less than nothing. He's reminding the Christians he's writing now. 
You think he ever felt like that? Less than nothing? After that denial, I bet he did. For over a month, I bet he felt like nothing. He goes, once you were less than nothing, now, praise God, now you are God's own. Once you knew very little of God's kindness, or God's mercy, or God's grace, or God's love, now your very lives have been changed by it. See, when I focus, when I focus on how much God there's no one that loves me like God, no one that loves you like God, we are defining, and I don't know if everybody, I don't know if everybody does this, I'll just say me, I sometimes find myself defining the way God loves me by the way you love me. It isn't true. In fact, God's saying, if we're going to hold up a standard of love, hold me up and live up to that. Not somebody. Not some person. And when I do that, it will change me. When you do that, it will change you. I have to come back to this all the time. Because I, I beat myself up all the time. Oh, why was I so stupid? Why was I so stupid? Why did I do that? And nobody else is even thinking about it but me. Look what Peter says here in 2 Peter. Grow in the loving favor that Christ gives you. What's, what's that mean? Grow in the grace. Grow in the mercy. Grow in the love that God has given you. Learn to know our Lord Jesus Christ better. That's what we're hoping I'm hoping 2018 we will focus on that. We'll know Christ even better and richer and deeper than we ever have. What's the theme, Tim? Not telling you. But I will tell you this. If you and I will focus by ourselves, yes, we'll do it with each other, but by ourselves with no one else around. Just me and Jesus at a fire. He singles me out. Tim, do you love me? Only you know, Lord. And somehow that love, how do I know if I've got that love? It, it translates into how I treat other people. I'm feeding sheep. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And that's point two. Failure reveals that my love for God must grow. Anybody here, if you feel like your love for God needs to grow, let it grow. Let it grow. Number three, God's purpose doesn't change just because I blew it. Just because I blow it doesn't mean God says, well, I'm, 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 I'm changing the plan here. You know, I know that, I know, listen, I don't want to be naive here, and I can be pretty naive. I know that some marriages some spouse blows it and it changes it. Divorce. Right? I, I know, I know it's, we can blow it and get involved in addiction and it changes my friendships and my workplace. Sure. I know that. I know that there's consequences for what I do. And there are consequences with God for what I do. One of them is, I'm not changing the purpose. It's not just hell. Not just all that. Man reaps what he sows. Yes. But I, my, I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for your life. And he pulls Peter aside in front of these guys. Peter, yeah, 
You love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. I've got something I want you to do. And then he goes on and says, you know, when you were a kid, when you were young, younger, you kind of did what you wanted. Can I replace that word younger to when you were immature? You did what you wanted? Kind of like what you did around that fire when you denied me? Hello? Do what you wanted. You didn't do what I wanted. You did what you wanted. That's the trait of immaturity. Ouch. Ouch. Isn't that what immature people do? They think about themselves. But when you get old, you're going to have a person, they're going to feed you, they're going to lead you where you don't want to go. Isn't that what he said? Someone will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Well, that's, that's, that's true anyway. Right? When you're young, you know, I'm 20, I don't know what he's going to tell me. I'm 18, he's not going to tell me what to do. And I'll do what I want, as long as I want, when I want. That's true. And then when you get older, you know, you can't get around like it. Yesterday, I had the wind was blowing hard. The soffit was blowing off my house. That happened 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago to my house. I got a ladder and I got up there, you know, put it back in place. Well, this one is on the other side. It's been 15 years later. It's raining and windy. And I've got this aluminum ladder that I'm sitting on some wet deck wood. And Denise goes, I'll hold the ladder. I go, okay. And I think, I've got my hammer and my nails. And I'm like, I'm 30. One, two, three, four, five. What am I doing? And I'm halfway up in the ladder. I'm looking at the ladder, you know. I'm thinking, I'm going to end up on the ground. I'm not going. I, I step back down. I'm not doing this. You know, I was going to say something. I don't think we have. So we need to get a young man. So I'm going to get one of my sons to go up there and risk his neck. That's why you have kids, so they can do these things. You were thinking it. But I mean, Jesus is talking about a natural thing, right? Yeah, but he's used, he's twisted a little bit. He's using it for another reason. He's saying, when you were young and immature, is that right, Peter? Yeah. You did what you wanted? Yeah. But when you got older, you, you let people lead you to places even where you didn't want to go. Right. And he says that's... He said that to Peter to indicate the kind of death he would have. And look what it says. That would glorify God. See, when I'm immature, I do what I want, and I don't bring much glory to God. Jesus is saying to Peter, my purpose for you hasn't changed. And you're going to get older. You're going to get more mature. And there will be a day I will lead you where you really don't want to go. Like I led you when you denied me. You didn't want to be there, and so you got out of it, did what you wanted. But this time you won't, Peter. This time you're going to say, yes, Lord. And you know what? That's what happened. Peter was led to be crucified, and he said, you're not going to crucify me just like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. He was led where he didn't want to go. And what's he say? He goes, then he says to him, follow me. He says it not to him once, but twice. You know, Peter says, what about that guy? That guy over there, what about him? He goes, don't worry about him. If I want him to live forever, I've got a different purpose for him. I have something else planned for him. But you got to follow me. That doesn't change. Peter's heard follow me before. He left nets to follow Jesus. And now he's going to leave his immaturity to follow Jesus. Listen, 
Your failures don't change God's purpose for you. He's not done with you. So just kick that attitude, that idea out of your mind. It's over for you. It's not over for you. Jesus still believed in Peter and He still believes in you. He says to Peter, you one time said you would die for me. And the truth is, Peter, you will. I want to say to you this morning, I don't know what failure it is, but there is a question at the end of your notes here. What failure is holding you back? I simply want to ask you, what failure keeps telling you that you're done? Jesus is not saying that this morning. Not at this meal. He didn't say it that morning and He doesn't say it this morning. He's not done. He still wants to use you. Your purpose hasn't changed. Oh, you've got to change. Sure, you and I have got to change. Our, the challenge for us is our love for God needs to grow. But what's holding you back? What's stopping you? What failure has stopped you in your tracks that haunts you? Let me encourage you to do three things here. One, face it. Don't run from it anymore. Face it. Admit it. Yeah, I messed up. Why? Because when you do, you get a second chance. Look at this proverb. It says here, the man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. You'll face it. God will give you that second chance. Number two, lean on God's bomb-proof love. Really rely on it. Quit believing your definition of love based on what people, how people have loved you, how mommy and daddy or your friends or whatever. You've got to start looking at God's love. It is so amazing. It is amazing grace. It's not married love. It's not romantic love. It's not friendship love. It is bomb-proof love. Look what the Bible says here, Lamentations. Jeremiah is saying this when things are just going to hell in a handbasket around him. Jerusalem's in shambles. He says, yet there is one ray of hope. His compassion never ends. It is only the Lord's mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. Great is His faithfulness. His loving kindness begins afresh each day. Every breakfast, His love is there. He's on the shore. Every morning, early in the morning, when the rooster crows, He is still there waiting to be kind, to be merciful. It's new every morning. You start your day with the love of God. You start your day. That's a better point than lean on. Start your day with the love of God. And the last thing is get back up. Quit lying there. What does Peter do when John says, it's the Lord? What's he do? He jumps in the water and he swims as far away as he can because he knows Jesus is ticked. Right? No, he doesn't do that at all. He jumps in, puts on clothes. I don't get. Usually you take clothes off to get, but he, that's what he does. Jumps in the water and he's going towards Jesus. He's following Jesus where he is. And I want to say to you, getting back up is saying, I've decided to follow Jesus. Look at the Bible says here. We wrote a song in Bible time one time. It's Proverbs 24 16. And we did it to, I get knocked down, but I get up again. We did this verse, okay? But look, it says, no matter how many times you trip them up, God loyal people. You see, Peter, Peter loved Jesus, even when he screwed up. 
You love Jesus. Even when you see that. Look what the Bible says. How many times do they get tripped up? They don't stay down long. I think it's, oh, NIV says, knock a righteous man down seven times and he'll get up again. Soon they're up on their feet while the wicked end up flat on their faces. Why? Because they're not running to Jesus. They're not getting back up. When they hear that it's the Lord, they cringe and they want to go the other way. Peter goes toward Jesus. And when he does, he finds a God of a second chance. He finds that his love does need to grow. And he finds that his purpose hasn't changed and God still wants to use him. When I was a kid, way back, we lived in Browns. I remember getting a Stingray bicycle. Some of you older people understand what a banana seat. The big high uh, bars. The sissy bar. I had it all. The dad got it for me. But I couldn't ride a bike. We'll put some training wheels on it. And I rode on them training wheels for months. It's summer. you know, Maybe a year. And dad goes, it's time to take the training wheels off. I don't know. What will happen? Well, when I was a kid, here's how my dad inspired me. When I was a kid, when I rode my bike the first time, I went right into the ditch. I wrecked it right in the ditch. Now, how's that going to motivate me? And I go, okay, and your point? You've got to try. Come on, let's take them off. And these, the wheels were really bad by now, you know. So he takes them off. And here we go. And I go, I mean, right into the ditch. Pow! Over the bars. I got you, Dad! You're in the ditch! I'm in the ditch! I don't want to die! It's a stingray! And I don't want to ride it anymore. And he says, look, Tim, you can do this. You know, I've got... I know sometimes I give my dad a hard time. Here's one of those good moments. You can do this, Tim. And then Mike walks up after laughing at me. My older brother walks up and goes, you can. Same thing happened to me. And so it's a family tradition. And you can do this. Come on, get back on the bike. You'll do it, Tim. Come on. And so here's my dad and my older brother urging me, get back on. Get back on. And I get back on. And I'm... You know how... To, right? It's like it's... What's going on? Have you let go yet? Have you let go yet? If we let go a long time ago... I heard her voice a long time ago. Tim, you're doing it. You're doing it. And then, boom, into the ditch I go again. But you know what? I got to where I could ride that bike finally. Because my father encouraged me and my brother encouraged me. And you have some cheerleaders around you, some people, they know how to fail too and they know how to get back up. And you have a God in heaven that says, your Father in heaven says, come on, time to get back up. Don't let that failure define the rest of your life. Your failure is not final. It does not have to defeat you. Come on, let's get up. Try it again. But I'll, I'll mess up again. If You'll never try again if you don't try. Come on. And you know what will happen? You'll be doing this. Next thing you know, it's going to start. Wow. And as soon as you get to learn how to ride a bicycle, then it's driving lessons. And I drug my dad all over the barnyard. He's holding on for dear life on the truck door, screaming and cussing at me. And I'm trying to learn how to drive. And it took a while. Still learning. What is it? What's the hang-up? What you got? Face it. Start your day with the Lord's love. Start it, start it right and uh, get back up. Get back up and follow Jesus. That's the challenge this morning. You got a card in your bulletin and it's just a card that uh, 
know, opportunity to share maybe a thought you have, a decision you're making. Maybe there's something you'd like to have some prayer over, a person, a problem, something going on at work, something going on at home. You know, people, they, they take, our prayer ministry takes those cards very, very seriously. And they call out to God and pray. You want, sometimes you might be, I've filled a card out, I've filled them out before, and something happens, and I go, how, why did this, all this, man, it's, what's going on here? A door opened. Somebody's been praying about it. So I just, give you the opportunity. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna sing a song, and let you have a chance to fill those cards out, and then we will sing another song, collect those cards up, and our regular contribution for the week. Again, may God bless you. Have a super Thanksgiving. And while you're around the table, make some noise about Jesus. Alright? Alright, let's pray. Father, thank You so much for today. Lord, thank You for encouraging meal with the Master. Father, to think about, you know, You don't keep records of wrongs. You're trying to help us erase those. Father, you want us to, you want us to, uh, you want us to grow. You want to use us. Lord, I pray that today that many of us here, you know, we've, we've made so many mistakes. We begin to believe the lies that we're unable to do anything. And Father, I pray that you help us confront those lies with your truth, what you really think, over what we think, what others think. Father, is, is, is there a failure that's revealing our lack of love? If so, Father, help us address it. Help us, help us uh, understand your love in a much richer and deeper way. Father, I know that uh, I've made some mistakes and have changed a lot of dynamics in my life. and Not some, not for the better, but I, it's so good to know for us to know, Father, this morning that there's something that never changes your love and your purpose for us. Father, we pray that you'll help us start the day in your love. Start the day knowing you love us with a bomb-proof love. Nothing can blow it up. And Father, help us get up from our failures and just start following you again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.